Welcome to Alabama Short Stories, when you're a little behind on your Alabama history. I'm your host, Sean Wright. Cancel culture is a big thing right now. The people who talk about it the most seem to be the people who tend to put their foot in their mouth the most. You know the person most at risk of being canceled. If someone is canceled, it usually means they are ostracized from a group or business. It's also just boycotting with another name. Now, if someone says or does something against the majority's values, they tend to get canceled. When Will Smith slapped Chris Rock at the Oscars, Smith stepped across a line. His actions repulsed many in the audience and among his fans. Smith has since been banned from the Oscar ceremony and probably is not receiving movie offers like he once was. He's been canceled. Or what I like to refer to it as being held accountable for your actions. While cancel culture is a new phrase, banning people and performers is nothing new. Even the state of Alabama has been banned. The first banned item that comes to mind in Alabama is books. Some people tend to lash out at books as the root of all evil, and they go to great lengths to remove the offending book so as not to corrupt our children. Three Alabama authors are among those with books that tend to show up on banned lists. John Green, who wrote Looking for Alaska, graduated from Indian Springs School. Suzanne Collins, who wrote the Hunger Games series, graduated from the Alabama School of Fine Arts. And Harper Lee. Do I even need to tell you that she wrote To Kill a Mockingbird? Yes, Harper Lee has been canceled in some school districts in Alabama. But I would like to tell you about one international group that was canceled long before the name canceled was fashionable. And the groundswell started in Birmingham. It's March 1966 and the Beatles agreed to be interviewed by the Evening Standard's Maureen Cleave for a series of articles called A Day With, featuring each Beatle separately. Let me give you a sense of where the Beatles were then. Seven months earlier, they performed at Shea Stadium to a record-breaking crowd. The album Rubber Soul was released in December, followed by the singles We Can Work It Out, Nowhere Man, and the EP Yesterday. The album Revolver was scheduled to be released in August. It had been a successful three years for the Beatles, and they were enjoying the spoils of their success. John Lennon, 25 years old at the time, invited Cleve to his home for the interview. Lennon, his wife Cynthia, and his son Julian had moved to Weybridge outside of London. They lived in a large Tudor home filled with the items one would have purchased if they had quickly received a lot of money. A suit of armor, a massive crucifix from a Roman Catholic church altar, a large and ornate Bible, and a gorilla suit are some items mentioned in the article. As Lennon gave her a tour of his home, he talked about many subjects, including his views on Christianity. Lennon said, Christianity will go. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue about that. I'm right and I'll be proved right. We're more popular than Jesus now. I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. Jesus was all right, but his disciples were thick and ordinary. It's them twisting it that ruins it for me. The article moves on to a discussion of his wine cellar and model racing cars, which held his interest for just a week. Today, that's a throwaway line. Even with the internet, the outrage would be swift and buried by the next political crisis or celebrity misbehaving. Since then, much worse things have been said that have been ignored or explained away. In 1997, Noel Gallagher said his band Oasis was bigger than God. The reaction was minimal, 
Much to Gallagher's dismay, he was even trolled by the Spice Girls' Mel C., who said, If Oasis are bigger than God, what does that make the Spice Girls? Bigger than Buddha? Because we're a darn sight bigger than Oasis. Ouch. But Lennon's quote was in 1966, and it took the world by storm. Two disc jockeys in Birmingham, Alabama, read the quote and decided this needed a response that only Alabama in the 1960s could provide. WAQY was a top 40 radio station in 1966, known on the air as Wacky 1220. It played a more sedate version of Top 40 than its larger established competition. The station was started in 1964 by auto dealer Tommy Glure, who brought on Tommy Charles and Doug Layton, becoming the first two-man show in Birmingham. Tommy Charles started as a big band crooner and was signed to Decca Records. He was also a budding movie star. When his movie deal fell through, he was recruited by WSGN to be the overnight disc jockey, quickly becoming one of Birmingham's most popular disc jockeys. Doug Layton started in radio when he was in high school. After college, he enlisted in the Navy before resuming his radio career in Montgomery. He moved to Birmingham to work for WSGN, where he and Tommy Charles first met. Now, how did this mention in an article in an English paper make its way to a small radio station in Alabama? Charles and Layton would always start their daily program with a current issue. They hoped listeners would call in and discuss the issue, maybe generate a little controversy, because that was good for ratings, just as it is today. It was July 30th, 1966, and the two had been reading the July issue of Datebook, a magazine for teenagers in America. The lead story was, the 10 adults you dig hate the most. Within the article was the quote by Lennon about Christianity without any of the original text. Not that it would have helped stop the oncoming outrage. After reading it, Charles said, That does it for me. I'm not going to play the Beatles anymore. They called the publisher to confirm the story before conducting a telephone poll. 99% of listeners were willing to go along with a ban on the Beatles music. The most popular group in the world at the time. Unknowingly, the two disc jockeys would become the leaders in a nationwide movement to ban the Beatles. The DJs encouraged listeners to throw away or burn their Beatles records in protest of the sacrilegious statement by John Lennon. They asked listeners to turn in their Beatle records, posters, pictures, magazines, whatever else that featured the Beatles to be used in a Beatles bonfire. Alvin Benn, a UPI reporter, was listening to the show and knew it would make for a great story. He passed along the idea to the New York office, and an article soon appeared in the Camden, New Jersey paper with a headline, DJs ban the Beatles for Lennon's remarks. The outrage was swift and spread across the country, mainly the South, as other DJs and radio stations had their own Beatle bands and bonfires. Even the Vatican denounced Lennon's comments. This controversy could not have come at a worse time for the Beatles. The band was preparing for a 14-city tour of America that would begin soon. This had the potential to be a financial disaster for the band. Manager Brian Epstein, then on vacation, flew to New York to help manage the controversy. But two days later, Beatles records and merchandise were ground up in a municipal tree-grinding machine in Birmingham. DJ Rex Roach wanted to present the remaining dust to the Beatles when they played in Memphis a few weeks later. Ironically, Charles and Layton never did have a bonfire. The city of Birmingham had a city ordinance that banned public bonfires. On August 11, 1966, 
the Beatles left England to start their U.S. tour with their first show in Chicago. Lennon was distressed that he may have endangered the lives of his bandmates because of his opinion. A press conference was held, and Lennon told his side of the story and explained the context. When a reporter pushed him further, Lennon said, I wasn't saying whatever they're saying I was saying. I'm sorry I said it, really. I never meant it to be a lousy anti-religious thing. I apologize if that will make you happy. Because of Lennon's apology, Charles and Layton decided not to go through with the destruction of the remaining Beatles merchandise they had collected. Charles told the AP on August 13th, We have called off our planned destruction of the Beatles records and other things we have collected. We don't consider it fitting to continue the campaign. We have to take him at his word that he is sorry. And after just two weeks, the controversy was put to bed. At least in Birmingham it was. Protests and disturbances would plague the Beatles' U.S. tour. The band hated the tour, partially because of the incidents and because they really wanted to be a studio band. So what happened to everyone? The Beatles would disappear, never to record again. Ah, just kidding. This was only the halfway point for the band. The Beatles would go on to produce some of the most significant records of their career, including the album Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. If you're familiar with the cover, the band is surrounded by pop culture icons. Jesus was supposed to be one of them, but was left out due to the previous year's controversy. They would remain as a band until breaking up in 1970. That tour of America was the last time they toured as a band. Doug Layton would become a color commentator for Alabama Crimson Tide football and play-by-play for the university's basketball team. He would stay active on Birmingham radio until 2015. Tommy Charles also stayed in Birmingham for a time as the sports anchor at WBMG Channel 42. He teamed up with John Ed Willoughby to create the team TC and John Ed. And the Vatican would come around as well. In a 2008 article about the Beatles, the Vatican offered its forgiveness by recognizing that Lennon's remarks were showing off, bragging by a young English working-class musician who had grown up in the age of Elvis Presley in rock and roll and enjoyed unexpected success. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Alabama Short Stories Podcast. If you enjoyed listening, I would appreciate it if you would rate it and leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify if you listen there. And if you know someone who might like to hear these stories, share this episode with them and encourage them to subscribe. You can also support the podcast by purchasing the companion book from Amazon.com, which features the first three seasons of the podcast. Thanks again. And see you next time on Alabama Short Stories.